If you're like us and enjoy a glass of wine, nakedwines.com should be your next online stop. You don't have to get naked, but you can get six bottles of wine, red, white, or a mix for only $34.99 plus free shipping. That's a savings of $90. Or you could get naked. Either way, <laughs> go to our website, gameofbookspodcast.com for a coupon code. It's that easy. No commitments, no membership fees, just wine shipped to you direct from independent winemakers with a 100% refund guarantee. Go to gameofbookspodcast.com for the coupon code. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words and Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Fiona Barton. I have been very much looking forward to this episode. Not only did I love her book, I took it with me on vacation, um, but we get to talk to her all the way over in England, I think. I, think I, I know, I know. And I, and travel's been so hard that, I mean, oh. I'll live vicariously through this virtual travel. That's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only is her location fabulous, but uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author and I cannot wait to talk to her. I know she's going to have lots and lots of great things to say. I know, I know. And it will be with a British accent, which we love. So <laughs> anyway, let, before we get started, um, let me tell everyone about her. Uh, Fiona Barton is the New York Times bestselling author of The Widow, The Child, and The Suspect. She has trained and worked with journalists all over the world. Previously, she was a senior writer at the Daily Mail, news editor at the Daily Telegraph, and chief reporter at the Mail on Sunday, where she won Reporter of the Year at the British Press Awards. Born in Cambridge, England, she continues to live in England. We'll find out where she is. Her book that we're talking about today is Local Gone Missing, and the Mystery Tribune, among others, <laughs> yes, Kathy's holding it, um, is a captivating yeah. read, a first grade suspense novel, and highly recommended. Barton demonstrates one more time why she is considered a master of the craft. And her previous books have also been praised on in, in like People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, The Washington Post, USA Today. Well, the list goes on. Um, but the one that I really kind of liked, Kathy, was um, Stephen yeah. King even promoted it. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm a big fan. And um, he, what he said was, if you liked Gone Girl and Girl on the Train, you might want to pick up The Widow, Engrossing Suspenseful. So that's a debut novel being reviewed by Stephen King. I mean, yeah, that's just that's... a dream come true. So we can't wait to talk to her. So Fiona, it is yes. so nice that you're here with us today. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yes, I'm sitting in England. Um, I'm on the south coast. I can almost hear the sea um, if I open my window. And uh, it's eight o'clock in the evening here. So I've got every excuse to have a glass of wine. <laughs> well, let's talk about the wine. Okay, so this evening, 
from England and a little earlier in the day for some of us. But that's okay. I'm a mid-afternoon here. <laughs> we are all sharing a glass of rosé mm. upon Fiona's recommendation. So cheers, ladies. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Code to Provence. Summer, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Mm. It is. So are you... Um, oh, my what do you have there, Oh, how lovely. Yeah, that's Your, beautiful. It's called um, Fleur mine. de Rosé from Cote de Provence. I, had to, I was like, okay, I got to get one for, you know, from Provence. Gorgeous. Because that's what you mentioned. And yeah. that was the only one. But it was only $12 at my oh. um, local store. So. Very are. nice. Um, Fleurs, you can drink it like lemonade, can't you, Rosé? This is a problem. <laughs> Yeah, it isn't a soft <laughs> I know. drink, um, but it is delicious. It is delicious. And as you say, it is the flavor of summer. So, mm. okay, let's get into this beautiful, fantastic, and kind of creepy um, novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is Local Gone Missing. Mm. And um, I think I'll tell our listeners a little bit about the plot so they kind of know. Mm. Um, we'll wet their whistle and get them interested to go buy the book. Mm. Elise, which is one of my favorite names, is... It's her daughter's name. It is. <laughs> um, is a successful and ambitious detective, or at least she was, before she had to take a medical leave with a whole great story, and she's not sure kind of where that has left her. And so she's in this town, Ebbing, um, a small town in England, um, where there's lots of tensions. It's a seaside town. You have weekenders coming in liking to develop properties and of course into you know huge luxury homes and locals resentful of that which you know I think that plays out in a lot of kind of communities one I just came from actually uh, on vacation so so there's that underlying tension already and then um, a newcomer comes to town and he wants to put um, this huge music festival um, on and of course things go awry <laughs> and of course and a man disappears the first night and so Elise is kind of drawn back in um and all I just all of the small town things that are that you can imagine all start creeping in it's just a fantastic read um but I love the small town thing so let's can we start mm-hmm. there can we start with Ebbing as, yes. a, as a setting sure Okay, so tell us about Ebbing. Is it real? No. No. Um, It's funny because the first three books I wrote, um, the location really wasn't a character in it. It was more about the the characters um, in the police and the the journalist and, and all of that. But this time I thought I was interested because I've just moved to the seaside. Oh. So. Oh. Um, it's it was so fresh and so different from where I'd lived before that I was pretty fascinated by what was going on and how things worked there and and it became obvious very quickly that um, in a small town like that things escalate things small small things like you know somebody parking badly somebody not picking up after their dog <laughs> becomes a big deal quickly yeah. and so I thought well you know this is great <laughs> stuff for a thriller writer so um yeah so that's what I I decided that I would make Ebbing which is it's kind of you know it's an amalgam of lots of different places I've taken yeah. little bits here little bits there it's in Sussex so it's south coast of England um but I I wanted that dynamic as a backdrop 
not just as a backdrop, but as part of what was happening um, in the plot, the plots. Um, so yeah, yeah I, 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 I thought, oh, this will be, be great fun, create a, a town. It is so much hard work. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, you know, halfway through, I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I you creating know? something I wouldn't have to? I know. I know. You think, oh, it's going to be great. You know, it'll be fun and all this. And I've got my terrible map that I drew. Oh, oh there you go. I was going to say, you would <laughs> have to draw a map grade, or something. First grade map. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it is a lot of work. But... I'm writing the second one in Ebbing at the moment, and I've got oh. the whole thing ready-made for me. So, um, well, yeah, true. it paid off in the end. <laughs> yes, and and you don't have to worry about somebody saying that's not right I know. because that's there's it. no real town. Um, <laughs> I have friends who have used real locations, and they get so much grief about you know. Well, if you turn right at the end of that street, you don't come to that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I thought let's make it up. So I did. Yeah. Have fun. Well, it's funny because I live in a very, very small town and Chrissy lives in a much larger community. And we often will compare notes about experiences that we have. And I completely agree with you that the smallest thing in a small town can become huge because I guess there's so many ways for things to get communicated very quickly in a small town. Yeah. You know, things become very immediate. <laughs> and you see them all the time. All the That's time. the thing. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you wake up, it's there, mm-hmm. that badly parked car. And so, you know, it becomes an obsession um, when it is always there in a big city. I mean, you know, it's so big. So and the churn of people is so yeah. quick. Right. But in a so you town, don't know, like that annoying car is gone and then it yeah. will never come back. Exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly. And you, and you don't know the people either. You don't know who they are. Yeah. I live in a little neighborhood where if a car drives through it's it's a neighborhood with one street okay if a car drives through that someone is not familiar with someone is getting a phone call right away like is who is that and why are they around here mm. in oh, france wow. it was like that yeah. if a car went past we were all oh oh yeah, who's that <laughs> who, who is it why are they here so um yeah i mean it's slightly different here there's a bit more <laughs> a yeah. bit more uh, movement around but I like the smallness of it. Um, yeah, right. not a village where it's almost claustrophobic, but a small town where there's more going on, and you can right. play with that a bit more. Yeah, well, fun. And so, uh, so it sounds like we're going to get to see Elise again, yeah. which I really, I really liked her character, and um, and so I'm glad we're going to get to see her again. But I also thought it was very interesting on how you handled. Well, first of all, you showed different points of view of different characters, and some were in the third person. Yeah. And one was in the first person. I'm not sure if that was a conscious choice, so I was wondering if that was a conscious choice Mm -hmm. without giving anything away, and you went from before to the now, before to now, and so... How? I mean, you have a map there. Do you have a wall with all these different things? No, or? I, I, I really should. I really should. Um, no, as you can see, I'm in my shed at the moment. So that is my, um, over here is my whiteboard. Whiteboard. Yeah. And it's, I like a whiteboard. It's got nothing on it, really, apart from there are only two plots, The Hero's Journey or A Stranger Comes to Town. Okay. So that's, that's my mantra. But um, no, There's only two I, lots in the world. <laughs> that. that makes things simpler. 
Yeah, well, it does. That's true. But I think as a journalist, I've always used lots of points of view. Um, it's what reporters do. They talk to everybody. They want to get the whole story. So, um, so I was well used to doing that. The moving in time, I'm sure some people will find it intensely irritating, but <laughs> I wanted to put the reader front and present and then say, but did you know that two weeks ago this happened? Um, so I, I, I did do it consciously and I, I do do a spreadsheet occasionally um, and then forget to update it. So um, I normally do it at the end. <laughs> Really, so my editor thinks that I was uh, that I've done it so, properly. Oh. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm I'm more of a plunger than a planner. Oh, cool! That's a new way of hearing it. That must be the British way. Yes, yeah, you say pantser, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like, like plunge. Well, I don't know. I don't know which one I like better. Actually, <laughs> plunger sounds kind of goes straight. Yeah, in. yeah. And, but uh, we have a plunger here. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that, we have know, the, the train. <laughs> so it is appropriate. That's true. <laughs> no, so uh, yeah, that's what I did. Just suck it all out of there. <laughs> I, I, what I'm curious about is the first versus third. Like the, did those characters just speak to you that way, or did you make that a really intentional choice because we want a different angle from the first point of view? Definitely. Um, I I have done it in all of the books I've written because. The first book, The Widow, was all, when I conceived it, I was going to um, tell it all from the first person. Jean, the widow, was going to tell the story. Um, It was just her voice. So I wanted her to speak direct to the reader. Um, As it turned out, um, there were other narrators joined her. And I didn't want everybody speaking in the present tense because I thought it was too confusing. She was the character that I wanted the reader to stand at the shoulder of and, and look through her eyes um, and then be wrong-footed um, by the other characters. So it began with The Widow and I liked it. I liked that, you know, there was one present tense. So you had a, a kind of a, a grounding in that mm-hmm. person. So I, I've carried on. Um, and as you know, uh, Local Gone Missing, I've got the detective. I did think about putting her in first person, but I decided not because then I would be stuck with doing that. Um, I'd right. carry it on if I did. So I decided I would try it out. So I kept on changing who was speaking in the first person to see what felt oh right. Gosh. And uh, and then ended up um, with the cleaning lady, D mm-hmm. as first person. Because you're not operating from a huge outline mm. and you're plunging your way through. <laughs> Are you one day deciding that, uh, you know, D is going to be in third person, but then you think, oh, after yesterday's work, I didn't like that. So tomorrow I'm going to rewrite her in the first. Yeah. Or do you do it at the end? No, no, no. I, you know, I, I try it out, see who sounds right. And it just, I just liked her voice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought she was very, um, she talked direct. She's a very direct. Yeah, person. I liked it. Yeah, um, I liked so, her directness. Yeah. And I thought that uh, Elise, it, it would be better to have her in the third person because there's a lot around her. There's a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Whereas D, you know, has a, a much simpler... You just, yeah, you're seeing what, and she's also probably, because she is a very perceptive character mm. because of what she does, mm. then you are going to see a lot in the first person more than you might see 
with just somebody else who just walks in the room or whatever. And I wanted the reader to see what she sees so that, you know, you think, you know, all these other characters, but then Dee goes into their house or caravan or whatever. (laughs) And you see a different, um, a different side. Yeah. And I also love that that um, character, right, is often an overlooked character in a lot of situations and, mm-hmm. and that she's really the connector. I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting. And I can't think of seeing that before. And I, I really loved that she was the glue a little bit. I yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. because she can go, she can sort of move between different, you know, parts of that community um very easily and invisibly a lot of the time so yeah she's a great character to do that you know to to join up the threads yeah okay so i think it's time for us all to have a little sip and this is the time we ask our guest authors the question in the bottle and it is um perhaps a question that you might get to discussing at the end of a bottle of (laughs) rosé i didn't know there was a question in the bottle (laughs) christy likes to pull it out Okay, go on. All right. Oh, this is funny. Okay. Would you rather be able to talk with the animals or speak all foreign languages? (laughs) Wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can see, I can see, you know, I can see reasons for both. I would, I would, oh gosh, my husband would kill me because he'd want to speak with the animals, but I think I want to speak all foreign languages, please. I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. Really? Yeah. You're you're the animal person, Kathy? And I knew it right away because... I just have a lot of anxiety in this animal underneath my desk right now. And sometimes I just be like, why? What? And we have Google Translate. And so I feel like I can do Google Translate for other languages, but okay. for the animal. It would be good. We also have a, a an idiot dog, um, a cockapoo, <laughs> who um, we've no idea what's going on in his head, really. I know. But yeah, it would be nice to know, but I think it yeah. could get pretty boring. But it it's might be just like really boring, you know? Yeah, it might be a giant I want disappointment. To give me a bone. <laughs> when are we right. walking? And then what if this actually squirrel, worked? Squirrel, squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> and then what if this worked and I realized there was nothing there and I gave up the chance to speak all the languages? I'd be like, yeah. really? <laughs> One more thing I gave up to my dog. <laughs> I love it. Oh, anyway. All right. So. Let's um, talk a little bit about your um, previous career as a journalist. I yes. mean, you've all, ha, first I'm wondering, did you always in the back of your mind think I want to write novels or was it like, oh, I, I got this really good idea. I bet I could write a novel. Let me do it. And just like, what was your path to publication? Well, I didn't spend my life waiting to write a novel. Uh, I was writing every day as a reporter. So you know, for 30 odd years, I was working full time, loving the job. I loved being a journalist. It was a great job. Um, and I read, you know, from the age of four, whatever. I was reading voraciously. And I can't imagine a day when I'm not reading. So I had both of those sides of, of my life, you know, carrying on. And then I stopped being a reporter. Uh, in 2008, I decided, well, we decided, my husband and I decided that we were going to volunteer uh, with VSO, which is like an organisation that places professionals in other countries. 
and uh, they sent us to Sri Lanka and uh, and I was training journalists there um, wow. at the time civil war was still on and uh, journalists were targets um, they were being murdered wow. tortured kidnapped by the authorities by the state um, so um, it was an in- a very interesting placement but it meant that I suddenly I had you know before my job was you know 12 hour a day job it was if not more it was always full on I had a family I had children and so there wasn't any space for anything else so I decided when we got to Sri Lanka and I'd sort of started doing that work I thought I'm not writing anything and it felt weird and uh, and so I had this idea I had Jean's voice from the widow in my head and I thought I'm just going to give it a go so I did um I wrote the first nine chapters and the last chapter and then I put it in a drawer like you do uh to <laughs> ferment and came back to it when we came back from Sri Lanka and um and moved to France and I joined a writing group and they were very encouraging and uh and and so I I got it out of the drawer and uh, and carried on so it was only really once I'd stopped being a reporter that I could do it. Wow. Can we revisit the Sri Lanka training? <laughs> I, I can't fathom being in a country in the midst of civil war where journalists were being targeted and you were training journalists. Well, did you have anything in your professional experience prior to that where you had felt targeted or unsafe? Um, difficult stories. Um, in Africa and uh, and in Asia. So, so yes, I did have some experience, but also I was being backed by a very good organisation who were in country with me and who were, you know, very aware of the politics and everything that I needed to, to know. So that was brilliant. And also, um, they didn't know I was a journalist, uh, the authorities. I was there as a, oh God, what was it? A management consultant or something like oh, that. Sorry. So it was fine. Um, and also my name, Fiona, um, in the uh, different alphabets in Sri Lanka, in Sinhalese and Tamil, um, they don't have an F. They don't have a letter F. So my name was always misspelled. So it was fine. They never knew who I was really. You know, my name was always different every time um, I came up. So it was fine. I mean, you know, the journalists I was working with were in danger much more than me. I would have been, you know, deported, I think. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have been murdered or tortured. So um, wow. I'm very aware of the West and uh, Western uh, help that they needed. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was tough, but it was so... Um, it was so interesting, so challenging, so inspiring. No, it was it was a great it was a great wow. move. I'm so glad we did it. That's really a neat thing to do. What did your husband have a similar um, position that he was doing something like related to his previous career? Well, my husband was a builder, and so he came with me. Um, his visa said that he was an accompanying spouse. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, which he was, which he was. but <laughs> which uh, he, was. he worked with um, adults with learning disabilities and was doing carpentry and wow. craft with them and loved it. Just had the best time. Loved it. Wow. Mm. wow. It you guys good. are a good match. Very yeah, adventurous. Really and... cool. Yeah. So other than we, we, we started 
um, talking about journalism, and obviously there's immense similarities. You're working with words, whether you're novel writing or in journalism, like words are your tools. How else does journalism, a background in journalism, help a novelist? I would think that you must have an, a, a highly tuned awareness of, of character or people. I, I'm just curious what what that career brought with you to this, to novel writing. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a fascination with people because, uh, and, and, and the stories that people tell you and what they're not telling you and what's the story behind it. And it's that kind of curiosity about what makes people tick. Um, you never lose that. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's endlessly fascinating. And so um, that's what I brought, I think. And, you know, a style that meant that I write short, sharp, hopefully, sentences. Um, but what I had to unlearn was um, telling the whole story in the first paragraph (laughs) and uh, and writing at length. You know, I'd written most of my stories were, you know, sort of 500, 750 words, maybe a feature, two and a half thousand. But I'd never written anything that was 80,000 words. And it was it was mind blowing to begin with. And I was watching the numbers go up at the bottom <laughs> of the page and, you know, word by word. Um, so, yeah, I had to unlearn that and uh, and to allow myself to invent. And I think being a news reporter, I know people say reporters make it up. They don't make it up. You're telling other people's stories in their words. And so I had to let myself go a bit and say mm-hmm. it's okay you can make it up now but that's been the hardest thing actually oh, that's so mm-hmm. interesting. Mm. I can't imagine I mean we have talked to other reporters who are you know crime fiction writers and stuff but I can't imagine the leap from being a reporter to writing say fantasy or something like that because that would just be like oh my gosh you know this is so unrealistic I can't (laughs) no I mean it is it's such a leap isn't it you know if you go science fiction or fantasy that's a whole other mindset I ground Mm -hmm. I think all of my books in reality I take you know bits of people meetings with people that I've known over the 30 years I've used that cast of characters really you know just taking a bit here a bit there um because I I feel better about it I feel safer in writing like that mm-hmm. I'm just not yeah. you know realms that I don't read fantasy really so yeah I, I don't really mm-hmm. you know my daughter loves it absolutely loves it um, but yeah, it's not, it's not me really. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I love the conversation about kind of a second vibe in life, right? A new, a new, exciting, invigorating career or hobby or interest. And we, I can't tell you how many writers we talk to that have, have switched into novel writing later in life. We don't talk to, really, we don't talk to many 24 year old crime fiction writers, do we, Christy? I mean, it's a lot of people who make a transition. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. So it's hard, isn't it? When you're 24, you've got to earn a living. You've got to pay the rent. Yeah. When you're my age, um, you know, hopefully you don't have those financial um, burdens on you. Um, Right. But you're right. I mean, it's, 
but isn't it wonderful that that writing um, is something you can do at any age and it doesn't matter if you're a woman of 50 um, any other career starting off as a woman of 50 is a bit of a steep learning curve but um, no it's wonderful that you can and so many first-time novelists you know women in their 70s if you've got something to say it doesn't matter how old you are it's uh, it's great I love that about it I was just telling Christy I I had learned about an author today who is publishing four books this year he just just by happenstance that's how it all you know his publishing houses it came out but he does not care to be seen he doesn't care to do this kind of stuff he'll do audio interviews but he just he's like I don't think you need to see me I don't want to give up my privacy and I thought that's also so cool because you don't have to you can do what works and I just think that's so neat yeah that's absolutely right it's so cool so what advice would you give to (laughs) someone else making this transition oh gosh I find you know I find it very hard because we're so individual you know all the authors that I've met there's no kind of common thread we're just people who have got an idea and have started to write it's wonderful um Mm -hmm. I would say to anybody who is sitting there saying I wish I could do it um you know what what have you got to lose sit down start writing and write every day even if it's a sentence a paragraph a word even uh, an idea or what if writing every day gives you confidence and uh, and gives you the facility as well with your words so I'd say mm-hmm. you know I don't mean you know that that you know whole apply seat of pants to chair right <laughs> I mean, but I think start don't keep talking about it do it mm-hmm. um, and then mm-hmm. see see whether mm-hmm. you can there's no magic trick I promise yeah. you you might sit down like you're thinking you're going to write this um, crime fiction novel and instead you write a fantasy short story or whatever, Absolutely. but you know, you're doing it. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. What, what I love about that advice is that it's so actionable. Like anybody can hear you and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to write one sentence. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, not three hours or thousand words you know because right. you know, that seems so daunting and that's the thing yeah. isn't it it's sort of yeah. you know, you've got to start you've got to eat the elephant one bite at a time right. they say um yes. yeah because when yeah. I started I just had a sentence really that Jean had said that I'd oh. heard her say and so I only had that but once I started yeah. writing it I had much more inside that I hadn't, um, mm-hmm. hadn't quite vocalized before. Gives me shivers. Okay, so we do have one final question for you before we go. Yeah. Yes, we we like to ask all our authors this. Um, uh, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, um, gosh, I've got quite a, I've got quite a choice. <laughs> I think um, I've shared meals with a lot of journalists, so I can put Kate aside. I'd quite like to share a meal with Ronnie because she makes me laugh. She's oh, um, she's, she's kind of the sidekick <laughs> in uh, Local Gone Missing. Uh, and I think 
she'd probably like uh she'd probably like some fish and chips actually they live uh, on the seaside so yeah we could have that but she would make me laugh and that's yeah. the best dinner companion ever I know. I'd like to join. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I think we're making a trip to Sussex. There you are. Next. Okay. So if our readers have any um, questions or would like to reach out to you, sure. what's the best way? Website, social media? Social media, email? probably. Twitter okay. is best, I think. Um, okay. So I'm at Fig Barton, F-I-G Barton. Fig like the fruit. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> can't remember why now. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd love oh. to hear from people. Wonderful. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So this has been such fun. We thank you so much for joining thank us. You. And I think we all we have to do now is have another toast. You need to get some to more wine. success. <laughs> local gone well, missing. I know. The tide has gone out in my glass. Oh, it's time to get off this thing then. Cheers to you, Fiona. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Are you a self-published author needing more sales? Let's talk about momentum advertising for authors. If you'd rather be writing your next book instead of taking marketing classes, or roping your cousin's girlfriend into handling your social media ads. Get Community Authors' latest service. They do all the work to get your book noticed. Find out more on their weekly information sessions that are free if you go to their website, communityauthors.com. I'm telling you, this exclusive program is a great opportunity. Their clients are really partners at Momentum Advertising for Authors, so be sure to tell them that Christy and Kathy from GOB sent you.